I'm Laura Martin, Miss Mayo 2021, and this is my interview with The Pageant Project. everyone, it's Adrian from The Pageant Project with you and my special guest for today is Laura Martin, who is Miss Mayo 2021. Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's an honour to be on the show. Don't say that just yet. Wait, <laughs> wait till the end before you, before you give us such high praise. Um, before we start, uh, I just wanted to ask, the name Miss Mayo, is that, that's a place that you come from? Is that a city? Is it a county? It's an unusual yeah, so name. It's a county. I know it's a county up in it's county in Ireland, so it's in the west of Ireland. So I lived there for now. I think it's coming up to about three years. I've been living in Mayo, so I decided to enter. I'm not from Mayo originally. I'm from Cork, so I'm from South. So I entered Miss Mayo when I was living there. Right. Okay. Because it, it, as I said, when I saw it, I, I just kept thinking of mayonnaise. So, um, so Miss Miss May, so how do we? What, what about we start with? How did you get involved uh, in pageantry to begin with? Let's start with the easy stuff. This is actually my first year entering a pageant. I was I applied for one a couple of years ago, and I was moving at the time, and it just didn't work out for me. And I think now I'm a lot more confident in who I am as a person and kind of what I believe in. So I think now entering for Miss Mayo 2021 was definitely the ideal year for me to enter. Did you see an Instagram ad? Was it a friend that referred you? Did you? So it was a friend. Growing up, <laughs> yeah, I watched it right. growing up. I watched all the girls growing up, and I saw all the Miss Corwin. Um, it was actually a friend of mine that sent me the say entry form, and they were like, "You should definitely go for this." And I was like, "Oh, I, you know, I, I was always like, oh, you'd watch these girls win it, and you know." And then I kind of looked at myself, and I was like, "I could be one of these girls that win it." You know, this is something that I inspire. I inspire to do and to be. So, I mean, you said that you watched it growing up. So, did you have the problem that a lot of girls do sometimes? They have the preconceptions about what pageants are about, or did you, because you watched it growing up, you pretty knew, pretty much knew what they were actually about? I did. I had a fair idea what they were about because I did have a few friends that won Miss Ireland and won uh, Miss Universe Ireland. So, I always kind of knew what was going on. I suppose for entering something, I kind of had to have an idea of what I was getting myself into because it is definitely a commitment and it's something that yeah. I wanted to give 110%. So I definitely did my research before I entered. So what made you, what, what were the aspects of it that made you decide to make that commitment? Because as you said, it, it's a significant time commitment uh, as well as a financial commitment. Um, so what made you decide, yes, this is something I definitely want to be doing? Because I genuinely see myself as a role model for young women, young girls, because I am a volunteer myself and I have been now for years. I'm a youth mentor with uh, Freuga. So I'm a big sister with Freuga's Big Brother Big Sister Mentoring Program. And I just, I feel like I'd be entering this for the right reason. I'd be entering this because I want to be a role model for younger girls so they can look up to someone and they can look up to Miss Ireland and a, I don't know, maybe a future Miss World and be like, we can aspire to be like Laura, you know, I, I've gone through years of education. I've done all volunteering and charity work. Like that is my main passion. I co-host a podcast myself. So I think it's, 
I wanted to see, I wanted the young girls to see, wow, we can actually do it all because we see Miss Ireland do it. So why can't I do it? Uh, you mentioned, is it Faroiga? I don't, I, I wanted to ask you how to pronounce it. Is it Faroiga? <laughs> it's Faroiga, yeah. Faroiga, okay. Forgive my pronunciation. I'm sure no, I'm butchering okay. it. it. It has a, it has an accent over, does it have an accent over one of the letters? Because I've never seen that before. Is that an yeah. Irish thing? Yeah, so it's a fada. There's a fada over the, oh, I'm pretty sure I'd have to double check that now myself. Um, there's a fada over no, it, yeah. yeah. So it's called, it's pronounced Faroiga. So I'm a big sister with the big brother, big sister mentoring program, which is under the Freuga umbrella. Okay, can you tell us more about that? Because I saw that and I definitely, it's one, one of the things I wanted to chat to you about. So what's involved in being a big sister? So it's, as I was saying, it's a, I'm, a vol like, I'm a volunteer. So every week I meet with a young girl. It's the same girl every week. And I suppose we just help, I help her work on her confidence and lead her to a brighter future. And any issues she's having, any problems, anything that might be going on at school, anything that might be going on at home, that she has someone to talk to about it. And I suppose myself and being involved with charities for so long and volunteering, I kind of see a lot of younger children and they're victims of their own circumstance. Mm. And I suppose that's just something that I wanted to help a younger girl be like, look, there is a brighter future here for you. And I can definitely help guide you in the right direction. So, yeah, it's every single week. And say so we do workshops. There's like online book clubs. We go for teas and coffees and we go to bookshops. And I suppose it's just having someone there that can talk. Maybe that's not a family member. Maybe it's just somebody that's a bit different and they can help them with their confidence and any problems. And as I said, it just leading them to a, a brighter future, basically. And do you work with the same, is it one girl and you take them on basically for life or is it one girl for like a term how, how does that work so it's one girl and it's like how long so first initial commitment is a year I'm coming up to two years now so it, it goes right. on until they're 18 so they can enter they're referred in usually with Freuga it's different they're like a club but with the big brother big sister it's individual so they're usually referred in by maybe a teacher maybe by a family member a social worker and maybe they've gone through trauma in their life or you know, maybe it's just a lack of confidence, maybe it's bullying, it could be abuse, it could be anything. And they are referred in. So then you work with them every single week and just help them, as I said, brighter future, help them with their confidence, any issues they're having. So yeah, it could go on for it could go on for five plus years. Right. And so when they're referred in, um, as you said, they they well, they're referred in, so they have some issues in their life. Um, working in it, as you said, you've come up coming up almost to two years. What sort of issues have you seen, without disclosing obviously private information, but what are the issues that have tended to come up working with these young women? I think the main one is confidence. I think, I, I don't know, is it an Irish thing, but I think as girls hit a certain age, they're going into secondary school, they're turning 13, 14, they've, come, they've lost a lot of confidence in themselves. And I think that's the main issue that we see with younger women in Ireland, that they feel like that they lack the confidence that they might not feel like that they inspire too much. But I think myself being a volunteer and maybe kind of seeing a bit of her in me when I was younger, I, mm. I got the confidence through sports. I was, I was an Irish gymnast. So that's where my confidence came from. And I think as I got older, I reflected and been like, no, I can help younger girls get their confidence back. And it could be through sports. It could be through any activity. It could be through reading. It could be through art. Um, it could be good. We go to the museum. It can be anything like that. And I suppose that's how I kind of got into it. And the um, 
the, the sports is definitely a huge part. I don't think it's an Irish thing. Um, I mean, obviously, young women around the world deal with confidence issues, young men as well. Yeah. But what I have noticed working closely with a lot of the Irish competitors is that, and to an extent, the UK competitors as well, it's very much uh, almost apologizing whenever you're taking up space, right? The, the analogy I use, and this is a silly one, but if you're in a shopping center, probably doesn't happen that often during COVID, but if you were in a shopping center and someone banged a trolley into you or bumped a trolley into you, you would then apologize to them. It was almost yeah. like, oh, sorry, you know, for getting in your way. Has, has that been... Has that been an issue that you sort of notice? It's almost apologizing for taking up space rather than owning it. I 100% agree. I think it's people apologizing because, as you said, they're taking up space or they're trying to be their authentic self. And they're apologizing for who they are and they're apologizing because they're mm. confident in who they are. And, you know, just, and, you know, if I had something to say and I would apologize after my whatever I'm saying it doesn't sound like I'm confident in it so I apologize because I don't want to offend anyone but because I'm confident in my voice and what I'm trying to say but I 100% agree it's like a saying sorry for taking up space or saying sorry for being confident in who you are so how how I mean because you speak quite confidently especially for someone who's Irish slash UK um, as I said, they tend to be more apologetic. The American pageant girls have seem to have fewer issues owning it. I don't know if it's a cultural thing. Obviously, Americans as a general stereotype, they're, they're, they're almost bred to believe in themselves. They recite the Pledge of Allegiance every day. So how did you develop that self-confidence in yourself? Was it through the gymnastics or was it through your pageant career so far? I think... That's a question I always get asked myself. I I think my confidence came, like I wouldn't be who I am if it wasn't for the people in my life, like say my own family, aunts and uncles, friends, you know, always being so supportive. And I was kind of like, if I can be an Irish gymnast when I'm younger, I can kind of be whatever I want to do. And I shouldn't have to be apologizing for who I am. And just because I am, conf I'm, I am confident in my voice. And sometimes that comes off as, oh, Laura Martin might think she's great and that that's a comment that's come across before and I'm like mm. I should be allowed to think I'm great because I inspire I aspire to do great things I have done great things and I continue to do great things so I should be allowed to be confident in who I am and I don't think I should come on and be apologetic because I don't think a, a future Miss Ireland or fingers crossed hopeful hopeful Miss World should have to apologize for who they are and being confident in themselves so as I said I wouldn't I wouldn't be who I am if it wasn't for the people in my life. And again, bring it back to the volunteering. If I can be that one person in a young girl's life to give her confidence, then I think I think the job is done. So in terms of, let's say advice, let's try and boil it down to a piece of advice or a couple of pieces of advices in terms of building the confidence, because it is a huge issue, as I said, not just in Ireland and the UK, not just with women, but um, the world in general. But if you had, let's say, a young girl or young woman watching this, and this has happened with me very often, they're struggling to find their confidence. And it's very easy to tell them to just be themselves. But if you spent, you know, 20 or 30 years of your life deliberately not doing that because you don't want to be judged. And then remember when the first time you do it, people say you are full of yourself or, you know, you're yeah. arrogant, let's say. So what would your be what would your advice be in terms of battling that? I think there's a saying, and I really dislike it. It's um, fake it until you make it. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I don't think anybody should have to fake who they are. 
again, if I could give anyone advice, it's be humble in your heart and confident in your voice and just give everything. I give everything 110%. Whatever I put my name down to, I will give it everything I have because nobody is going to do it for you, but you're the only person who can do it for yourself. I think that's one thing I learned is if I want something, I have to work at it and I have to believe in myself and nobody's going to do anything for me if I want it. I think that's very true. I, I, I'm not a huge fan of the fake it till you make it. Yeah. Um, I, I have several issues with that, but work work it until you make it. I, yeah. I do understand because when I'm coaching girls, a lot of the time I say, well, if you want confidence, if you've worked your heart and soul for something for, you know, I mean, you would probably understand this as a gymnast. I don't know how much you trained as a gymnast, but the gymnasts here that I, I used to work with, even when they were 13, 14, they would be training five days a week, six days a week, probably two or three hours every day coming in on the weekends. Was that your experience as an Irish gymnast as well, that level of sort of commitment? Yeah, it was. It was a six, um, it was a six seven day training, maybe two to three times a day at the weekend. Um, yeah, like my, my whole summers and everything was just training every single day. And I think sport brings a massive thing for confidence, especially in young girls. Like, unfortunately, I had to leave gymnastics because I had a very bad spinal and neck injury. But then I went back training and now I'm a Thai boxer. So I'm like from gymnastics to Thai boxing. Is that, I can't pronounce it, is it Muay Thai? Yeah, that, Muay that Thai. Form. Yeah. Right, I, I, didn't, I didn't know that. that that's amazing. <laughs> I've, of, I've often said that I wish more pageant girls would take up combat yeah. sports, not because yeah, it's not so they can sport. beat someone's head in, but so because I really think that it develops confidence. I mean, can you yeah. just speak to the importance of gymnastics, obviously, for yourself growing up? and now taking up combat sports, how important has that been in helping you develop the confidence? Oh, massively. I wanted to be a boxer when I was younger, and I was 12. My mom wouldn't let me in case I broke my nose. Um, so then I'd say, I know, I'd say about last year, maybe two years ago, just before COVID, I started kickboxing. So then I moved into Thai boxing. And I think having a combat sport, and when, especially if you're in a pageant and people hear, oh, mm -hmm. Thai boxer, they automatically assume, oh, violence, because they want to fight everyone. I'm like, no, it's a great confidence builder for girls, because you don't meet many girls who are into boxing, who are into Thai boxing. You know, I, I do, like, I, I'm not going to lie, there's times when I come in with the bruises on my knuckles from training. I remember I was at a shoot there last week, and I looked down at my foot, and it was covered in massive bruise. And I was like, oh, I was like, give me two seconds there. And I went in and did the makeup on my foot. So I definitely think there's an element where people think, oh, she likes to fight, so she'll fight other people. I'm like, no, that it's the complete opposite. It's just a confidence builder. And I, mm. I just love to stay active, really, to be honest. Well, I guess, especially during lockdown, that's been a challenge for a lot of people. So if you're able to do any, any sort of sport on a yeah. regular basis, I think that's a great thing. I mean, I have to ask you, I mean, you're Irish, uh, you, you're doing combat sports. So I have to ask you, what's your opinion on Conor McGregor? Because when he came out, I mean, talking about confident, he was super confident, maybe bordering on a bit too much. So a lot of that's just the showmanship. Yeah. And now recently, it looks like he's sort of had a midlife sort of change of heart. He's less that, he's, he looks like he's changed to me from when he came out and he was sort of very very you know in your face now he's a bit less so so you're i mean because is he a national hero to you guys because he's quite polarizing um i knew this question was going to come up if i mentioned that i was into like thai box yeah, yeah i course. think it's the mma that he the mixed martial arts um that he would be into and of course like you can't deny that he is a phenomenal sportsman uh some mm. things that he says i don't fully agree with um yeah. 
you know, I, I don't think I can, uh, I can't ignore that fact, to be honest. Uh, but he is a massive, like, a sports icon. But we have, I don't know if you've heard of her, her name is Katie Taylor. She's a massive, no. um, oh, you should check her up. She's a massive Irish boxer. She would be, like, a big national icon, especially myself, I suppose, only kind of starting combat sports within the last, like, year or two. And having yeah. Katie Taylor, she's just such a role model for young for young women in Ireland. So if you're ever thinking of Conor McGregor, you have to think of Katie Taylor as well. So definitely have okay. a look at her. Yeah, she's a big, big sportswoman. Okay, I, I will do. Um, Con- Conor has often talked about, and this has sort of been a thing working with the Irish pageant community that seems to keep coming up. It's kind of that the young boy from this small town in Ireland and taking on the world and showing the world what Ireland can do. And yeah. that's, and he's very proud of his Irish heritage. It's always up there front and foremost. And with the pageant girls as well, it, it seems to be a recurring theme that, you know, to get a chance to represent Ireland on an international stage, let's say through pageantry. I mean, it's, I understand it's a big deal for anyone, whether it's Australian, American representing your country on the international stage. But the Irish in particular seem to be super, super proud to represent their country, their heritage, what it stands for, and how amazing the people are. And I'm going to assume for you that's a huge, you know, if you were able to do that, it would be a huge honor for yourself. Can you just maybe speak to why it's such a such an important thing for Irish women and Irish people in general to be able to represent their country and very often the small town they come from? So I, I have represented Ireland multiple times for a gymnastics. So I, I do understand what it takes to be a national yeah. representative and go abroad and represent Ireland. And I think it's because, you know, we're seeing a, we're a smaller country, don't get me wrong. But I think we're a smaller country, but we have such big personalities. And I think to yeah. be able to bring a small piece of Ireland, people always think of Ireland everyone everyone has freckles everyone has red everyone has red hair you live next door to a leprechaun everyone thinks that about yes. Ireland until you actually come here and you meet the people and I've lived in several counties in Ireland and every county has been different and unique in its own way so to be able to bring a piece of that and represent Ireland abroad would be an absolute massive honor it's because you know, we're a smaller country and everyone thinks that we all have freckles and red hair until you see myself and I have the dark hair and the dark eyes and nobody thinks I'm Irish But until you hear the accent. Well, it's almost like I can imagine someone challenging you to, to prove that you are Irish because yeah. like, you don't look Irish, so you mustn't be Irish. I, I've had a, a couple of friends who competed in international pageants for Ireland and their roommates have commented, oh, she's a lovely girl, but she doesn't speak English. So it's I, I I don't I don't know where that person came from, um, but in terms of re- representing Ireland, I mean, it is I've not met an Irish person who isn't well, an Irish person I don't like because you all seem to be super friendly, yeah, super happy, super warm, super engaging. Now your UK brethren we often make fun of them because, you know, they're very doom and gloom. It's very wet there. And you often ask a UK person how they're going and it's like, oh, it could be worse. It's kind of the opposite. So what is it about Ireland? Is it something in the water? Is it something in the air? Is it just the family that you grew up with? How are you guys consistently so positive and happy? You know, that's actually a good question. I suppose for myself, how I'm always 
positive and happy is because I suppose the family that I've grown up with, you know, you watch uh, Irish on TV and, you know, I don't know, for example, Irish movies. And mm. okay, it does rain here a lot as well, but there's a lot to be grateful of as well. Because everyone, how can you not be positive when everyone around you is just, they're just trying to live their best life and having, as they say, like just having the crack as well whilst they're at it. So I suppose yep. for me, it's just always being around people who are just always up for having a laugh, to be honest. Nobody in Ireland, I always feel like, takes themselves too seriously. And if you do, people are like, oh, sure. What are they over there, you know, taking themselves a bit seriously? Everyone's just having a bit of a laugh and just trying to get through life, to be honest. I love that I know the word crack. That, that's one of the first <laughs> things that I uh, that I learned in, in working with so many Irish girls was, what's the crack? Uh, yeah. And you're like differentiating that from what the Americans think crack is. That's always a, a sense of a sense of enjoyment. If let's say someone watching this, and even for myself, I don't know that much about Irish culture. I've worked with um, some of my best friends are Irish, as I've told you. But if someone watching this doesn't know much about Irish culture and wants to learn more about it, is there a show that you could watch? Is there a YouTube clip you could watch? Because one of the things with international pageants you obviously have people from around the country, uh, around yeah. the world, right? And very often with Australia, they all think it's Bondi Rescue. They think it's Shrimp on the Barbie. Sometimes they think there's kangaroos going over the Harbour Bridge or that it's Crocodile Dundee and you just have to go, you know what, we're, we're not that, yeah. right? So in terms of finding out more about genuinely what the Irish people are about, is there like a show you could watch or a documentary? I would love to come on here and say there was a very intellectual or sophisticated documentary, but they're not. So the ones you have to watch, <laughs> uh, I'm going to miss some now. I'll be like, oh, she missed this one. Okay, so the first one is Father Ted. That's a big one. That's a big Irish. It's, it's like a sitcom kind of thing. It's a comedy. That one's really right. famous. Um, my favorite one is another one. It's called, I wish again, it was real intellectual, but it's not. It's called Hardy Box. And it's... <laughs> I know it's a group and they're from Mayo and I think it's because I resonate so much with it I could just watch it over and over again and there is another one and it's from it's a Cork one and it's called The Young Offenders so I would say I'm definitely missing a few now so if there was anything that you wanted to understand <laughs> Irish people the first one to watch is Father Ted I wish I would come okay. on here and be like oh it was a piece documentary no it's a complete comedy and from that you'll be like that's what the Irish people are like it's basically um about two about three priests and they live in a house together in a place called craggy island and it's just basically what the priesthood is about in ireland and again it's all just it's all about having a laugh and none of them take themselves too seriously do, do you think it would be possible to do an intellectual like documentary about ireland because i have to say I, I don't think any there's anything intellectual really that's come out of australia i mean you have crocodile dundee you have bondi rescue you have neighbours and home and away and, and none of those are intellectual sort of ventures. Can you imagine there being an intellectual, like when I say intellectual, I mean like a drier yeah. kind of documentary because it seems to me that when you think of, when I think of Ireland anyway, it seems immediately the humour, the warmth, and, and that's a good thing, right? Oh, yeah. No, I definitely don't think we could have a drier humour. I don't think anyone in Ireland, anyone that I've met has never had a dry humour. As I said, I've lived in multiple counties and every person is different to the next one I meet. So I don't think you could have a dry humour documentary about Ireland. We do have yeah. a few and it's like, uh, they're not dry, but they're well known. They're called like reeling in the years and 
they're a bit more like news and kind of what's been going on the last couple of years. Those ones are quite popular when they come around. But no, I don't think you could have an, as we say, okay. an intellectual drier humor. Okay. I, I have seen Dairy Girls because my podcast co-host is from Dairy and she said, you have to watch Dairy Girls. And I watched it. I found it really, really funny. Yeah. I, I can't say that's particularly intellectual either. Have you seen any of that? I have seen I have seen it. I've seen Dairy Girls and I've been there's a Dairy Girls mural up in Dairy and I actually have a picture in front of it. Um that's a also mural. Yeah. It's like painted on the side. Oh. Like it's like a, a national icon now at this stage. Um yeah, so I've watched that. Yeah, it is very funny. I'm waiting for the new episodes now to come out myself. Is it, is, it, is it a recent thing? I, I've only sort of just started watching the first season. So is it a really recent series or is it still it going is. now? No, uh, I think they're scheduled for another season. I think, now don't quote me on that. But yeah, it is recent enough. Right. Okay. It, it seems to me that the different counties in Ireland have really, really different accents, yeah. cultures. Is that is that true? Because it almost seems like it's, it's it's almost a different country. Like you're all united, as I said, by that Irish humor the irish warmth but i mean every county seems to be very very different it is yeah it's very different and as i said i've lived in multiple counties in ireland so i can definitely say that every county is different and once i when i'm in mayo and i start talking they know instantly i'm from cork because of my accent and the way i talk i always whenever i talk i always say like or i'm like um or i go you know yourself and sure, nobody would have a clue what I'm talking about if I was in another country. Um, but no, they're all very, very different. Like people know I'm from the South. Like once I open my mouth and I wouldn't have a strong Cork <laughs> accent. I remember okay. before I had someone come up to me and they were like, oh, where are you from? They thought I was like Italian or Spanish. And I opened my mouth and I started talking. He just uh, turned to me and goes, oh, you're from Cork. I was like, I didn't even have to say where I was from. <laughs> is is Cork... Forgive, I, I don't know anything about Irish geography. In terms of Cork and Galway, how, yeah. how close are those two? Are they anything to do with one another? Um, no, so Cork and Galway are about two and a half hours apart from each other. So Cork is down south and Galway is in the west. Galway is just under Mayo. So, they're, okay. they're, so yeah, Galway is west and Cork is in the south. And then so you've got Dublin okay. then on the east and then... The ones I'm not great now geography myself, and then you've got up north then as well, and then you've got the midlands. Okay. I I left no, geography just... to went to engineering, so my geography's not great either. <laughs> that, that's fair enough. I mean, it's something you can look up very easily, so it's not like you need to remember it. It's just with the accent, you're reminding me of one of my Irish friends, and I believe she's from Galway, and I just keep thinking that the accent and even the use of the word like, yeah, it's exactly how she speaks as well. So it is a very very distinctive accent do you ever have any issues with anyone understanding your accent like the, the the joke is always people can't understand the Scottish but everyone seems to be able to understand the Irish yeah I've never had anyone have an issue with my any my tone or anything or how I speak I suppose because as I said I've lived in multiple so I don't have like a set accent I don't have a set Mayo accent yeah. I don't have a set Cork accent it's kind of a mix and I know if somebody's um not understanding me very well I'll speak a lot slower that's my problem I speak very fast my mom's always like would you slow down would you slow down talking I can talk about 90 miles a minute 90 words a second I'd say so I'm trying to slow it down here now a bit I think I think that's an Irish thing as well now, now that I think about it I don't really know especially when you guys get excited or passionate about something which is every five minutes 
You guys don't speak. I can't imagine an Irish person speaking slowly. I don't think I've ever heard of it. Don't, I don't you guys think, I think you all speak? You get really excited and passionate about something, and it's great, and then you start speaking really quickly, right? That's yeah. part of the Irish charm. No, definitely. I speak very. When I get very excited, I I speak very fast, and I start to speak. I get louder. People always say to me, "I get louder as I speak," just because I'm getting yeah. excited. But I don't think there's anything wrong with that, to be honest. No, well, I've been to um, St. Paddy's Day's um, celebrations over here in Australia, and I can vouch for the fact that you guys are not quiet, um, <laughs> especially when you've had a few Guinnesses in you, because we had Guinness on tap, and there was about a thousand, two thousand Irish people in one room. This was pre-COVID, obviously. Wow. Yeah. It definitely wasn't quiet. No. Uh, had a great time, but it definitely wasn't quiet. If you were next door, you definitely <laughs> would have known. Um Laura, let's talk about, you mentioned the podcast, which I just have it over here, is uh, Future Thinking. Can yeah. you tell us a little bit about that? What got you to start that? So I run, um, I co-host Future Thinking with my friend Ali. So she's been a volunteer for a long, long time as, as well with Freuga, and she's a young uh, European leader. And I think we've always kind of had this connection. We met through Miss Mayo and we always kind of had this connection because I would be big into volunteering and charity work and so would she. And we always kind of was like, oh, we have to collab and do something together. And then I came up mm. with the series and the podcast and I was like, you're probably the best person that I would like to do this with because we have such similar interests. So it's basically just about the importance of giving back and how everybody can help in their community. And again, I always say it doesn't matter how big or small your contribution is because a big idea means a big difference in especially in a young person's life because she works with young people and so do I. And I think that's yeah. how it kind of came about. And then we also like I got um, speakers from charities I work with. So Freuga, um, Big Brother Big Sister, Eric Mayo I do a lot of work with so they're an organization in Mayo for children with disabilities and I'd be involved with them because my younger brother is autistic so I would have seen his struggles so I, I like to help children with disabilities because sometimes I feel like they're forgotten about and also the uh, the woman who runs so I'm with Considerate Cakes so they're an organization for children in direct provision and those who are homeless so we bake cakes and we do like food drives for them so I got all of them involved. So we've just finished season one. So we're hoping hoping to do season two now sometime in September and getting more people that we work with. Basically just sharing the importance of other charities in Ireland and how people can get involved and that you don't have to have experience, years and years experience that you can start at any age. I was never a member of Freuga growing up. I only got into it in mm. my early 20s. And I already see the difference that I can make in a young person's life. I'm like, imagine all the amazing people that I know that can make difference in young people's lives. How, how much have you tied in your, I mean, I think it's amazing that you've done the charity work before the pageant because sometimes yeah. there are some people who do it just because of the pageant. How much have you been able to tie in your existing charity work with obviously Miss World, the whole slogan is beauty with a purpose. With purpose. Um, yeah. how, much have you been, how much have you been able to tie those two journeys together? it's actually pretty seamlessly for me because as you said like I've worked yeah. with these charities for years beforehand so it's it's just me doing the work that I've already done and I continue to it like hopefully in the future I would love to have my own charity um but you know that's something that I would have to give 110 percent to so there's no point in starting mm -hmm. it now just because of a competition that I'm in so yeah. I think pretty seamlessly they've kind of blended together because it's something I've always been involved with so it's great to kind of have the Miss Ireland and Miss Mayo kind of platform to go with it so that has helped a lot that has helped me a lot and just to kind of get it out there that I do all the I work with three children's charities um like together so it's great to kind of get it out there being like look 
everybody can give back and everybody can help with a charity. So beauty with a purpose. Like now I have my project in mind and I'll be starting it this week. And for me, it's a, it's a pretty big project. It's a, it's a very different project I've ever seen anyone do. So I'm looking forward to share that as well. And it's with the charities I already work with and people from the podcast. So it's, it's nice to kind of get them involved with my Miss Ireland journey as well. That sounds exciting. Um, when is, it's been impossible in my position to keep up with what's happening to each pageant through COVID. So when, yeah. what event, what has been the lead up so far? I mean, given that we've had a pandemic and what's sort of the next event in terms of the, the Miss Island uh, competition itself? So we previously, we just had um, our launches and we had our first round judging, which I'm very, very happy with. So now next week we have, so it's called Top Model. So it'll be mm -hmm. a full day in Dublin and we have like our top model event and then the winner will go on. Whoever wins that then will go on and become top model. So that's the next thing. And then after that, then we have our second round of judging. So we'll be asked a question based on our first round. Our first round was two minutes where we spoke about ourselves straight. You just entered the chat, you talked about yourself for two minutes and then you got off. So that'll be, that's the round then after it'll be our second round judging. And then the final then is looking to be on the 5th of September. Right. Okay. And yeah. is everything able to be in person? Because I know the UK is set to basically open everything up in under two weeks and just say, well, we're going to try and live with this and see what happens. Is Ireland doing the same thing? No, Ireland won't be doing the same thing, but we are hoping to be able to have people at the Miss Ireland final, depending on what restrictions are. Like uh, we haven't, we don't have any indoor dining now open at the moment. So I think the country, right. the government are just trying to get everybody vaccinated until that they can yeah. open, I suppose, just with all the new variants that are coming in. So we're, yeah, they're going to have it in person. I don't think something like this that you could have virtual. I don't think it would be the same. So they're going to exactly. look to have it in person. Yeah, it's all like booked and everything. Yeah, no, it would definitely be preferable in person. I mean, you know, you can't replace it. It's like gymnastics. Yeah. You're performing in front of people. It's not the same if you're doing it in home. I'm not that you could do probably gymnastics at home, but, you know, on a yeah. Zoom meeting and a webcam, it's definitely not the same thing. There's no atmosphere. Um, Laura, so we've talked about a few things, obviously, the pageantry, your gymnastics, the, the, the tie boxing, the charity work. In terms of outside of that, because that's a lot already, what else do you do for work, for hobbies, to relax? If you guys ever do that, normally pageant girls don't take any time off to relax, but I, outside yeah. of all the other stuff. I rarely relax now, to be honest, I suppose, because I'm always up the walls. Yeah, I work full-time as a marketing and design manager for, um, there's about 11 companies in the West of Ireland, so I manage those. And I also, recently, I took on a remote role as a designer for a company in Dubai and Abu Dhabi. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I recently took that on. Um, I'd say with only this week, so now I'm, I'm working an extra. Well, I work seven days a week anyway, so it's an extra couple of hours. And I also own my own business. So it's a, say, a marketing design development strategy company. So it's called Laura Care Design. So I'd have a good few of my own clients as well on top of that. So, yeah, I would be kept busy. Say with design, I know, I know it's a lot. And I just finished my master's as well uh, a couple of weeks ago. So I suppose I would be really, really big into education. I love to read. I love to read more so like journals and like, um, say, like scientific journals. That's what I'd be kind of into. I'd be really big into technology. So my degree is in design and I have two in computer science, computer science and maths. So that would be, that's how I relax is basically, I know, I know. It's pretty, I, I, it's, look, we all have our things. <laughs> so yeah, that's how I'd relax then is I'd kind of watch um, 
uh, any safe technology that's coming up. But one way I do like to relax is I do like to watch TikTok the odd time, but I'm definitely watching um, say design. <laughs> I'm watching design strategy and like life coaching on TikTok. That's probably how I relax, to be honest. I mean, the thing that strikes me out of all of that is you said you just finished your master's two weeks ago. So yeah, you sure. were finishing your master's at the same time that you're enrolled in a pageant, yeah. at the same time that you're working seven days a week. So you obviously hate sleep, right? No, I love to sleep. I think sleep is one of the most important things you can do. Um, you don't yeah, so get I did, any, surely, if you're doing I all do. those things. I do, I do. I get sleep now because I finished my master's. I did my master's for two years because I did it part-time. And I just finished my, no, I got my results a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I did a thesis. I think it was just under 50,000 words. So I did, um, so it was a research, it was a design pro- proposal on augmented reality and artificial intelligence in the education of children with autism spectrum disorders. So it's basically how you can implement, I know, (laughs) people are like, what is that? I'm like, it took me a while to understand it myself. Um, So yeah, I'd be big into like designing proposals. I did it for my final year of my degree as well. I designed a proposal of, it was like a homework aid for children with autism, because I saw from me having a younger brother who's autistic, I saw how Mm. much technology influences life and how good he was at it. So I was like, okay, he struggles with his homework and he struggles with his schoolwork at that age. So I was like, how can we incorporate using technology for children with autism? So I suppose that's how my research thesis came on then, was designing a proposal using augmented reality and artificial intelligence for children with autism specifically, and how it can help with their education um, during schoolwork or for homework also. So that's, I suppose that's, yeah, I did my master's, I did a two-year master's while working 40, 50 plus hours a week. I mean, it's fascinating to me on a personal level because your degree is almost exactly the same as mine. I don't talk about my degree that often, but my degree was in computer science and mathematics. Yeah. Um, and for my final project, I didn't do a master's of it, so I didn't do a thesis, but for our final project, uh, I did a project on artificial intelligence. Um, what are your What are your thoughts on technology? Because I'm I'm huge into technology, not just because of all this live stuff that I do, but I do see it as having a lot of benefits in terms of what it's been able to help us do. Specifically, like we wouldn't be having this conversation if someone hadn't invented, you know, YouTube or live streaming like that. There are a lot of people who have other opinions on technology. Some people hate social media and obviously it comes with its challenges. That's a given. What's your personal opinion just with the social media and the technology? Where do you sit on that sort of Fence. I think everything has its pros and cons to be honest like you can't mm. you can't switch out a child's um in-person education with a teacher for a tablet for the rest of their lives it's not going to work I think it has yeah. to be a, a happy medium it has to be a good balance of using technology and education or say social media um you kind of have to have that healthy balance and understanding that everything you see online is as a designer and somebody who has experience with Photoshop, et cetera, in my line of work, mm. that 90% of what you see online probably isn't real. And I think that's the thing a lot of girls find difficult to understand, and especially having technology. And, you know, there's a lot of access now to the likes of uh, Facetune and filters. I think sometimes if you need to take a step back from technology, that's okay too. If you need to take a step back from social media, because it can be very immersive. It can be very, very overwhelming. because if you don't understand technology, it it can almost feel like that you're being attacked or kind of something like that. You're just being immersed in, into this environment that you're not used to. So with me having an understanding and with yourself having an understanding of technology, you're kind of like, okay, I know what's real. 
and I know what's not real, especially with social media, because you know how things work. And I think that's the thing. With it can so- be, yeah, it's increasingly difficult to tell sometimes. I mean, you talk about Facetune, the, the, and Facetune, I think, has this. It's the body morphing or the shape changing, or now the deep fakes that are coming out where you literally can't tell whether something you're watching is real anymore. Like I, I saw a Tom Cruise deep fake. It's gone viral. Yeah. It's very, very difficult to tell that that is not actually Tom Cruise yeah. saying those things. So you, you just having completed your master's, you must be, I mean, the rate of technology and what it can do and how easily it can do it. That's pretty scary for myself, even as someone who's used technology and studied it. Have you noticed the same similar sort of trend in what people are able to do now? Oh, it's it's frightening what people are able to do. Like even in my line of work, like designing, it's scary how you can change things very, very easily with a with a couple of yep. clicks of a button. It's yep. and we'd have that understanding of what is what you can do and what you can't do. And a lot of people, you know, it's not no fault of their own. They don't have that understanding. So as I said, you become obsessive and like submerged in this fake life Mm. especially through social media and uh, definitely as I said earlier like everything technology social media everything in life has its pros and cons and I think sometimes when you have to be like look I have to take a step away from this because it's not good for my social health my mental health then I think that's definitely the it's the right move to make sometimes technology can be it can be a bit overwhelming it can be a bit much if you don't understand it 100 percent I think look, looking at everything with a bit of a grain of salt, a bit of cynicism yeah. as well in terms of especially Instagram and then young women and young men do this increasingly yeah. comparing themselves with celebrities um, or influencers yeah. on Instagram. And you have to look at it and go, that, that even she or he might not look like that when, you know, that, that you have no idea whether that's real or not. And the, the faking, the algorithms, the photoshopping yeah. has gotten so good, sometimes you really can't tell. Uh, in terms of design, um, I'll just ask you this, and then we'll move to our, towards a close. What's the secret to good design? Because I'm fascinated with good design, UI, UX, especially with apps, the apps that are great to use and the apps you look at them and just go, this just, something is wrong with this. Yeah. What, what, what's the secret to good design? Um, I think the secret good design, it doesn't come down to skill. It comes down to your eye. It comes down to your eye and how fast your eye can pick something up. And that comes with training and just looking at things like, you know, I remember I had an old manager before and she was like, she was like, Laura, she's like, I don't understand how your brain works. She's like, I find it, especially people who are creative. She's like, I don't understand. Like I could walk mm. past, I could walk past, um, say like a shopping center and I could t- t- see a tea towel and I could take inspiration from that for my next design. And I think with, being a good designer it definitely comes down to the eye and how you see things and how you train things and instantly as you said like if I see something and it doesn't look right I know instantly it, it, it's not, it doesn't yeah. look right not because of my skill it's just because I've trained my eye to see what is good and what's not good and it, it helps yeah. it helps with everything to be honest and I think it's because it's in some way it's a problem solving you probably notice that yourself with like the computer science mm. the math design and engineering they all kind of follow the same problem solving that's always the kind of underlying part of it yeah it's it, it's exactly that and that's probably why i actually found programming I, I was more into the programming side of things why i found that so satisfying is because when you do solve that problem yeah. normally it was with programming in my case it just feels really really good but yeah. you're right other people sort of don't understand how that brain works they particularly what you mentioned, like the tea towel example, I find myself doing that sort of thing all the time, taking bits and pieces from random places in my life 
and then bringing it into pageantry, for example, and people will think, oh, that's such a great idea. How did you come up with it? And I yeah. have to be like, I, I didn't actually come up with it. I, I stole it, but from over there, not from the pageantry yeah. industry. Yeah. Uh, I, I love that. I, I have to ask you, favorite piece of design or pieces of design? And when it comes to, I mean, like the user interface, the user experience or logos or website, do you have any like just designs or brands that you looked at and gone, oh my God, that's perfect? I think every, and myself, like even designing now, I think every, there's not one I could think of that like, wow, it's perfect. There's probably one in my head now that hasn't come to me. But I don't think you could look at something and ever say it's perfect because if you're a designer and you're mm. looking at something and you're like, wow, that's perfect, there's always going to be something wrong. I think I could think something's perfect, but you might be like, no, I hate, I hate the look of that. So there's nothing in my mind that I could think, oh, wow, that brand is phenomenal. Like I look at like designer brands yeah. now for like instance, and I think they're mm. always modern, you know, unfortunately, you know, I suppose it's, there's some like fashion elements to it where they're always on top of trends. So I think yeah. just keep an eye on trends and I think they'll always start from like the fashion industry first. They'll always know what people are looking for. But they know there's not one brand now that would come to my top of my head. I'd probably finish this and I'll probably think of about 10 brands. But <laughs> yeah, it's always the case. There's nothing now in the top of my yeah. head that I'd be like, wow, that's an amazing brand. Like I would just kind of look at fashion brands. And I suppose because I would come from a background of working in retail for like seven years. And then I mm. worked as a senior designer for a large Irish fashion company for a few years then so it's always fashion I suppose right. that I would be looking at rather than technology or anything like that yeah that that, that makes sense um I asked because I was interviewing an Australian designer over here not even probably a month ago um similar similar industry to yourself and she was talking about logos and typography but specifically yeah. logos and she was talking about the Airbnb logo yes and how that came to be and how the entire Airbnb issue was how to build trust and then she referred me to a TED talk which was fascinating how to build trust through design because yeah. when you think about it Airbnb is essentially a brand where you allow a stranger to live in your house it's like Uber is a brand where you get picked up and go in a stranger's car which as a kid I don't know if you were taught this in Ireland but that's the last thing that you do yeah, as a child is get into a stranger's yeah. car but now we're more <laughs> willing to do that than go into a taxi and it's all because of these apps that we use every single day and they have to be so intuitive because yeah. these days people don't give you that second chance if it's not a, no. and i have the same thing if i don't know how to use your app intuitively i stop using it because it's just too much hard work so design to me is absolutely fascinating same and myself like now i'm going back to college now in september again i got off the place i just again. got an email I, yeah i thought i was being scammed i thought i was being scammed because i, was, I didn't apply for this course um, I thought scammers had just gotten really good and they knew I was into education. Um, I got an email from a college called um, UE, so it's University College Dublin, so a big university in Ireland, and it was for UX design. So I'll be right. starting okay. with that now in September, because like my dream job now, I'd love to, I have multiple dream jobs. I would love to be a UX designer developer, or I really want to have my own software company for the application for children with autism. And I want to have my own yeah. charity as well, I suppose, for young girls. and. I suppose there's an element where I'm like, oh, I could bring young girls and design and technology all in together. But I'm like, no, I think I would rather focus on disadvantaged children. Um, but yeah, I'll be starting that course now come September. So, yeah. and I, I suppose it's an area I'll always be interested in myself, especially user experience. And I don't know, is it like a, it's like a form of people watching kind of thing. 
know, when you go all days and you're obsessed with watching people, it's how, it's how yeah. you're watching people use things and training people yeah. to use things in a certain way. And I, I don't know, is that a weird thing or is it a very normal thing to be obsessed with that kind of design? Well, I don't know if it's normal because most people probably don't think like that, but it's incredibly important because everything nowadays can be tracked and measured, as I'm sure you know. And even with UX and UI, there are now heat maps where they can look at where you've looked yeah. at the most and which buttons you've hit, which buttons you haven't, and where the eyes have gone. Um, and it's fascinating and scary at the same time how much they know about our behavior and how much they can actually predict it based on past behavior. But um, I, I think you're going to find that fascinating. And, and for myself, having worked with a lot of young kids, the ability of young children um, to, to learn and to teach themselves with technology faster than probably any adult can teach them and how quickly they learn how to use things, it's scary. Like I, I've worked with young kids and almost universally the five-year-old is better at using the app or the phone or the tablet than the mother or father is. And the mother yeah. and father are supposed to try and keep the young kid under control. They don't know what TikTok no. is or Facetune is or all these things. And they're like, you can do that? And the kid's like, yeah. It's, that's going to be a big challenge. I'll tell you a story now. So in my final year of my first degree, so my design so was called visual communications. Um, I had to do like um, testing on people. So I was like, oh, I'll do one on my brother, my dad, just for a laugh and see how I get on. I pulled up a video and I said, I put, I gave him the two phones. And I goes, okay, who can find this the fastest? My younger brother at the time, I'd say he was about eight, maybe even younger. He had it up in a couple of seconds because he didn't search. He, he didn't type anything in. He spoke into the phone and found it almost instantly. <laughs> I never even, I remember before I had something projected up on the wall. I, I put Netflix up on the wall and I projected it and he got up on the wall and he tried to like tap it. And I remember yeah, watching yeah. him being like, this is just nuts. I was like, I, I wouldn't have, he just thought that you could touch anything. Anything is a touch screen. Even if it's projected up on the wall, it's still going to work. And he was like slapping the wall and he wasn't understanding why it wasn't moving. <laughs> and I remember yeah. watching him being like, this is, it, I was actually fascinated because that's how he was so trained from using technology. That was his experience was everything is touch screen. Everything is instant. I don't have to wait for anything. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating to me. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when phones didn't have touch screens as much. It was more a physical keyboard with Blackberries yeah. and things like that. Yeah, you and, and me both. <laughs> I remember the dial-up. Yeah, I, 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 the dial-up, yeah. I, I remember when they went exclusively to touch screen and they got rid of physical keys and I was quite upset. I'm like, I hate using touch screen because I, I can't type as fast. I want the physical feel so yeah. I know where my thumbs are. Like on a keyboard, you know, there are little things on the F key and the J key so that you literally know where your hands are and a touch screen doesn't have that. And I still, to some extent, don't like touch screens hugely but there's no physical keys on anything anymore. So I can understand yeah. that your brother's like just assumes that everything is touchscreen because and everything for him, is instant. Everything's at the fingertips, yeah. everything. So like, even when we're waiting for food now, he doesn't understand that sometimes you have to wait for things because they're so yeah. used to everything being instantaneous that it's like, this is work. If I just hit it so many times, it's going to work, but no, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, the buttons. I know. I remember watching him hitting the wall and I was like, what? It took me a second to be like, what is he doing? And I was like, he thinks the wall is a touchscreen. And I was like, I don't know. I was like, he's clearly the genius that's in this room because it didn't even enter my head that we could have touchscreen um, uh, projectors. 
Oh, I mean, you, you you did work in augmented reality, and that to me is a fascinating field. Yeah. As opposed to virtual reality, I know the two are somewhat similar, but very very different. Yeah. And this idea that you can augment your reality and literally reach for things and manipulate things—it's um, I'm really excited to see what that can do. Yeah, it's like the game. I reference that a lot. My thesis was um, Pokemon Go. That was a that was a big that was a big thing like that was a that big was thing. that was huge. The issue yeah, with that massive. we had a couple of issues here in Australia because young people would be fascinated with capturing the Pokemon's and they would go into the middle of a road and you know cause accidents because yeah. they were so obsessed with getting on their phone and looking at looking for the Pokemon. They forgot that they were walking into a road and they would be catching Pokemon's in the middle. I remember that. That was that yeah. was a scary time. Yeah, same here. Same here. Yeah, I use it a lot now. For, and that and the Connect, the Xbox Connect, it's just mad what technology can do. Yeah, it's not going to slow down, that's for sure. No. So no, exciting, exciting times ahead. Uh, Laura, just before we move to the close, um, final 10 questions. Anyone that you want to give a shout out to for supporting you along your journey? Yes, actually, there's multiple. So um, I suppose I'd like to, I, of course, I have to thank my own family, my mother, my father, both my brothers. They've always been so supportive. Um, I'd like to thank all my friends, uh, especially my friend Neve. She was like, she was like, Laura, she was like, if you ever win with Ireland, she was like, you have to thank me on stage. So I'd like to thank my friend Neve. And I suppose just everybody that's been in the Miss Ireland journey and people I've never met before and mm. just messaging me on Instagram. And I, I've never met them. They've only found me through Miss Mayo. They've only found me yeah. through Miss Ireland. And it's just like, I suppose, building those connections. And like a lot of the people now, um, they would come from India because I, as my mother is half Indian, and I suppose that kind of comes into it a lot. So there's, yeah, there's multiple people, I suppose, mainly my family and my own friends that I would like to thank. As I said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be me if it wasn't for them. Your mum, your mum is from India. No, so my mom's half Indian. So my mom's um, half English, half Indian. Oh, I was just going to say, if it's Indian slash Irish, that would be, I would have to hear her accent because I would be fascinated to know what an Indian slash Irish accent, if you rolled those two together, what that no, would sound like. English I can't imagine. Irish kind of language, uh, uh, language. So when she's on the phone accent. and she's over to people, accent, yeah. yes. So when she's over on the phone to somebody in England, you can definitely hear the English accent. But then when she's in Cork, you you know that she's a she's a Cork woman. <laughs> oh, okay. Yep. Okay. All right. Perfect. Um, Laura, let's run through the final 10 questions. Not a speed round, but if you want to answer them quickly, then go for it. Uh, so first question is, what is your favorite word? Oh, oh uh, I have three. So it's, uh, what's the story? I always say that. Like, basically, what's happening? Like, how are you doing? What's the story? Or any news? Sure, you'd say what's thing. the crack? What's the crack? No, sure I wouldn't say what's the crack. crack now. What's the crack? Yeah, actually, I would. Yeah, what's the crack? That's three words, not one. So that's kind of cheating. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, what's your least favorite word? Question two. Um, failure. I hate the word fail, and I hate the word failure. I don't use them. I don't allow my friends to use them. I think you don't fail anything in life. You always have the opportunity to do something again. So if I hear the word somebody, I failed something. I'm a failure, or I dropped out. I don't, I don't allow those words in my life because you have the opportunity to do everything again. Question three, in life, what gets you excited? What turns you on? Um, I suppose what gets me excited is seeing other people succeed. Yeah, of course, I'm in a competition, but I don't, I don't see myself competing in life. I want everybody to succeed because there's enough space in this world for everybody to succeed and be the best version of themselves that they can be. So that's what's, what turns you on. What about question four? What turns you off? 
what turns me off um I wouldn't say it more so turns me off but it's people that try to put other people down for no apparent reason just because they see something in that person that they would like to see in themselves I suppose it wouldn't be a turn off it's more something that kind of disappoints me to be honest fair enough question five what sound or noise do you love that's a very good question actually I like when I wake up in the morning and there's like uh, ponies at my back I live in Ireland, but there's like horses and ponies at my back for some reason. So I open the window and I can hear, I, I know, I can hear them in the morning and I can hear the water. So that's always something quite nice. So I open my window at like seven, half seven and listen to that. Wow. Okay. That's definitely a sound I don't have where I'm living. Uh, question six, what sound or noise do you hate? Um, the iPhone alarm. I don't understand why there have been a better default alarm for waking me up in the morning. But I mean... You want an alarm to be so obnoxious, it does wake you up, right? And I woke up to the iPhone alarm this morning. I hate it so much, but it wakes you up because you hate it. It does. I remember I was in Hawaii and it was a time where the they thought the missile, I think, was going off. And I remember I was asleep and my phone, I thought it was my alarm. My phone went absolutely mental. I'd never heard an alarm like before. It was like a fire alarm coming out of my iPhone saying that there's like a possible like missile attack in Hawaii. I was like, what time is it? And I was asleep. So yeah, no, I think there's, there's better, there's better, there's better alarms out there. There was a missile attack coming. That's a thing that happens on your iPhone? Yeah, apparently so. It sounds like a fire alarm if you're ever wondering. It's not the alarm to wake you up, it's the fire alarm. Oh, it's so funny you say that because literally I woke up to the iPhone alarm this morning. I hate the alarm so much that I will wake up five minutes early to yeah, turn it off. To turn it off. I think subconsciously I, I do the same thing. It, it, but I hate it. What I mean is I hate it so much I actually get out of bed. So it actually oh. does its job. I don't yeah. hit snooze. I actually get out of bed to turn it off because I hate it that much. So <laughs> I can agree with you on that one. Um, question seven, if you could have any one superpower, what would you pick? And why? Um, I've thought about this quite often. So I would like to be in multiple places at once because I, as somebody who does work quite much with like volunteering and charity mm -hmm. work, I think if I could duplicate me multiple times, I think I could help a lot more people than I do right now. I help a lot of people now, but I would like to help more. I, I think that's just my nature, to be honest. Well, it would also be nice to get get out of the Irish weather, I think, and get some sun whilst you can yeah. also still be in Ireland and keep doing the, the good work. Uh, question eight, what job or occupation, we talked a little bit about this, what job other than your own would you most like to attempt? Um, if I could attempt one, it would be, um, I'd love to be a doctor if I could attempt one. But if I had to be, and I hate this word, if I had to be realistic, because I don't think I'm going to be a doctor anytime soon because I have a fear of veins. Um, I would like to own my own software company. I, yeah, it's it's mad. I've I've always had it. Uh, I'd like to own my own software company for the application for for children with uh, autism to help them with their education. That would be my ideal job. Amazing. Do you have a specific fear of veins or just blood vessels in general? No, blood I'm fine with, which is a bit nuts. It's veins and like arteries and small bones. I've had it since I was a child. I think it's because they're so thin and there's so many of them. I I believe I have. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called trypophobia where you don't like things in clusters. I've spoken about this a lot. Is that the one that friend. was set off also by iPhones, the three cameras that were together? Yes, yes. I've heard about that one. Yes, yeah, I read a I news article that. on how people with that were being set off by the iPhone. You poor guys with your iPhones and, you know, every time someone takes a photo of you, you've got three lenses on the back. You're like, oh, 
I have that. So that's where my fear of veins, arteries and small bones came from. I've always had it ever since secondary school. It's, it's, it's very strange. I don't know where I wow. came from. So I can never work in the medical field, even if I wanted to. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's fascinating. All right. Question nine. What job would you definitely not like to attempt? Um, do you know, I, I would give everything a chance, to be honest. I don't think there's one job that I wouldn't like to not try. I would definitely, I like to try everything. I like to take every opportunity as it comes. And I, I definitely think I, I could do, I could do it. I, I think if somebody gave me a challenge, I could do any job, I think. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Final question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Um, that's a tough one. I would suppose I would like to hear, you know, Laura, you've, you've done the best that you've could on this earth. You've given everything that you could. You've given 110% to everything and that you've helped people along the way. And I suppose that's the most important thing to me is being able to help other people. And I'd like that to be acknowledged if I ever, when I, whenever I do reach the pearly gates, I would like to know that I helped as many people as I could have somewhat of a better life. Perfect. Well, Laura, it's been great chatting to you. That's about time. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. I had a great time. It was an honor. Uh, and I'll keep you on the line, as I said, for just a second whilst I hang up with the audience. So thanks to yeah. everyone for watching, whether it's live or on the replay. And we will speak to you again next time. Well, bye for now. Thanks for watching. Just a reminder to you entrepreneurial types to come and join us at our Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the pageant boss. I'll see you inside and see you in the next episode.